Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Mel. Hi, Anita. Are you there? I'm here. What is going on? I'm sitting here. Are you happy to be sitting here or would you rather be in the bathtub eating nachos? I would love to be in the bathtub eating nachos, except for I'm still on keto. <laughs> okay, then eating cheese in the bathtub? Yes, I would like to eat yeah. cheese in the bathtub. I have some news. I wasn't going to share it, but I think I should share it because it's part of my trauma. Do it. So, because... Broadway is dead right now, and because I have no job there, I drove back across the country from New York to Utah. So I yay. So now I'm here, except for boo for you, but yay for me. So I am back, and I actually made it in time to go to Scott's grave on Memorial Day, and you helped me. It was amazing. It's been interesting because I love it back there so much. And it was so good for my brain to have new experiences and just to be able to even see different scenery. Um, so it was a little difficult to come back into the area where all of my trauma has happened and all that fun stuff. And But you know what? I'm so good at life explosions every like six months and then having to rebuild again. So I'm in the rebuilding phase again. But um, yeah, I, when this 
pandemic stuff kind of calms down, our show may reopen and I will have to go finish out my contract. So who knows what the future holds, but I am currently back in Utah. So my dogs are with me. And I noticed that the same kind of widow brain that I had when Scott first died, I'm I'm having the same sorts of memory problems by coming back here and having like a new experience in an old and familiar situation. It's like deja vu. Yes. It's fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Maybe it's the altitude that's like squishing your brain inside your skull and so it can't like get blood and think. It's so I'm a true. medical professional, so it sounds legitimate. Yes. I think that's correct. And oh my gosh, <laughs> it is so dry here. I forgot how I dry it. it is. And it is high altitude. So I'm very tired. But I'm I'm okay. I I had to make lists for myself because I just noticed that I was so like wonky. And I did get into a super great groove in New York, uh, even in the quarantine where I was really, really, really productive with my uh, like music writing and with teaching my online lessons and all that stuff. And so it was hard to have that interrupted, you know, because of course I had to drive back and I can't do that on the drive. And now I'm like resetting everything up and trying to do the same things. Um, but I have to like make lists for myself. And so on my list is make your bed every day and do yoga. And then I'll try to do other other things after that. But those are my two like must do's because they make my brain kind of organized so that I can do more things. So that's where I'm at. If you are curious. I make, I make my bed every day and then my kids come and get in my bed and tear it apart. And it's one of my pet peeves. But that's how they roll. Yeah. Yeah, you have no um, control over that. I know. I just set up the kiddie pool. We got this amazing kiddie pool, which are really hard to find right now, by the way. They're hard to purchase. But we got one. And it's a 3D pool because it came with goggles. And then there's, like, fish on the side. What? And you can look at the fish. And they're supposed to be 3D. I don't know. And I'm not supervising them. And they're in the backyard right now. So hopefully everybody... Stay safe while we record this podcast. Can I come and swim in that pool? It sounds fun. Yes. Also, it came with this tag. And the tag had instructions that you were supposed to cut it out and put it on a string around your neck. And it says, I am supervising the pool right now. Or something what? ridiculous like that. Why so, are little, I'm not wearing the tag. Why are pool or why are kitty pools so hard to find? They are hard to find. Every year I try to find one for the dogs and they're always sold out. Everywhere. Okay. They're even harder to find this year because since all of the things that people usually do in the summer are closed, people are like the internet is all sold out of them too. They're really hard to find. So I don't know why they're normally hard to find, but now they're next to impossible to find. Can my dogs come so swim come in swim your in pool? Mine. Sure. But they might get scared by the dolphin and the <laughs> sea turtle because they're 3D. <laughs> that would be very, very intimidating. So, Anita, let's talk about Memorial Day. How did it go for you? Um, it was good. Um, we actually did our Memorial Day stuff on Sunday, went up to the cemetery, visited the um, gravesite, put up a lot of ridiculous um, decorations, and people looked at me really funny as I was carrying, you know, like really weird, like balloons that said, <laughs> congratulations for graduating things like that so um but i was i was like staring back at him i'm like this is my cemetery you guys can just 
get out of here, you know. And people were, yeah, there was just, there's just too many people. I hate people. I hate lots of people all gathered together too. So. Well, you don't have a headstone. So is everybody looking at you like, what is wrong with you? Why are you putting that on the grass? Maybe. And plus I was like, this is not my grandma. You know, like I'm not putting this Star Wars poster on my grandma's grave. I didn't put a Star Wars poster, but there is one there now because my friends put one up there. (laughs) But yeah. I'm like, this is my kid's dad, you know, like as my kids are running around and people were like honking at them to get out of the way, out of the road. And I was like, yeah, their dad's like right here. So just be nice. You know, you're visiting grandma. Wait, they could wear T-shirts to say my dad's dead. Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't honk at me. I like that on Scott's. I actually had these on his gravestone or headstone last year because uh, we just went to the dollar store and you got dollar store stuff for me this year. And it's, yeah. uh, it has flamingos, and it says, the party's here. And then there's tons of tacky <laughs> balloons. It was like a unicorn vomited on his headstone. Yes. So thank it you for helping me decorate that. And we got to take a really amazing picture. Yes. And it looks like we're at the prom, yep. sort of. Except for some random lady took it, and she looked like she was taking a lot of pictures, but then she just took one when I was pulling a really weird face. So I'm a little bit miffed at that random lady. You look Whatever. amazing in it, and <laughs> I think we need to post the pictures. It's going to be oh, great. We'll, we'll we'll post the picture of the prom photo. Yes. It'll be amazing. Excellent. I'm Mel. I'm Anita, and we're just a couple of young widows trying to figure out what do we do now? Hey, guys. We all know that therapy is an important weapon in our grief arsenals. Maybe you live in a small community with limited mental health resources, or maybe you're living through a global pandemic and can't leave your house. Or maybe you would just rather sit in the bathtub eating nachos instead of driving to and from your counseling appointments. Technology is making it easier than ever to access therapy. We are excited to be partnering with BetterHelp. BetterHelp brings professional counseling to you wherever you are. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist suited for your situation. And after a few sessions, if you aren't vibing with your therapist, you can request a new one. BetterHelp does all the legwork. BetterHelp is offering our listeners 10% off their first month if you sign up at trybetterhelp, that's help as in help, my husband died, dot com slash WWDN. That's trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Happy widowing! I'm so excited for today, and I'm going to let you introduce our guest, because you guys have a connection, and I can tell that we're going to be friends, too. So, go ahead. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But the Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. 
Okay. So this is, I feel like every time we have a guest, it's like, this is our first guest that meets such and such criteria. So we have another first today, and this is another international guest, and she is from Australia. <laughs> so exciting. So our guest's name is Liz Meacham, and tell us where in Australia you live, Liz. I live in the state of Victoria and in the very southwest corner of it. So for people who know their Australian geography, it's kind of an hour from the very bottom of Australia and an hour from the South Australian border. So right down the bottom southwest corner of Victoria. That is amazing. So Liz and I are... Um, following each other on Instagram. I'm not even sure how we started following one another, but um, our timelines are kind of close, pretty close. Um, And at one point in time, Liz sent me a message and I sent her a message back. And so we've been chatting um, every so often. And so when we were trying to think of who we could have as guests on the podcast, I was like, oh, I really want to talk to Liz because Liz posts stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what this means. I don't know what's going on, but I want to find out. So she accepted my proposal and here we are. I feel like it's like a marriage, a friendship now. (laughs) It cannot, it's a bond that cannot be broken. (laughs) I think um, I was a bit like a stalker lady to Anita (laughs) because Anita had posted some things on an Instagram page and I was reading lots of widow things and I thought, oh my goodness, this person is exactly the same as me. She's the same age as me. She has four kids, like I have four kids, and she appears to have this very larger-than-life, gregarious husband who apparently just dropped dead in January last year, just like mine did. And I thought, this is a bit ridiculous, and I never direct message strangers because I find that a bit stalky and a bit creepy. But I just thought, oh, God, I'm going to turn into one of those people. And so I messaged Anita and I said, I just have to tell you that there's someone on the other side of the world doing exactly the same thing as you because I had read Anita's story and thought, oh, I'm not the only one. And I thought, oh, maybe maybe if I tell her that she's not the only one, maybe that will make her feel like she's not the only one either. So I I feel like I was very stalky direct messaging Anita in the first, this strange lady from the other side of the world. But I was, I was reading Anita's story going, oh, I am not the only one. And that kind of made me feel nice. You guys are like actually congruent. Do you remember in math class, like in seventh grade, when you learned about congruency? Mirror image? No. That's you guys. I'm... You're like, no, I was skipping class and going, going <laughs> having hamburgers. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remote school for children at home because we have the pandemic here in Australia and all of the schools have stopped. So we have had seven weeks of remote schooling for children at home and um, – the liquor stores are doing very well out of me <laughs> dealing with that. Um, and it's very challenging. Amen. I am trying to do maths and 
I realised that there is a reason why I did not do maths in upper high school because I'm really bad at it. (laughs) But you're relearning how to add fractions right now. That's what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I learned this in fourth grade and now I'm learning it again. Are your guys' kids the same age too? No. How old are your kids, Liz? You've got, yours are a little older, aren't they? Uh, Well, we match up with a couple, I think, because I have one who is 13 and one who's 12 and one who's 10 and one who is 8. Okay. Yeah. So mine are 13, 10, 7, and 3. So yours are just like squished together. You were having a good time for a minute there. I, uh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Clearly, my husband needed to go to work more often. <laughs> because we had um, four under five and a half. Oy. But I figured that I may as, if I'm busy, I may as well just be really busy. <laughs> like I was already not sleeping and I was already changing nappies and I was already dealing with crying children. So we just keep going. What are nappies? Diapers. I knew that one. I'm excited to learn the little words that that are interchangeable between our two cultures. So tell me all of oh, them. You were just saying, <laughs> before we recorded, you were saying that a closet, what we know as a closet in the States, is not a closet. It is what? It's a wardrobe. So I'm currently sitting in my walk-in wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> with all of my clothes and all of my husband's clothes that I have not gone through yet. Um, it is winter over here at the minute though. So I'm actually thoroughly enjoying all of the jackets and the jumpers that he's left behind because he was bigger than me. So I can really like bulk up and wear lots of jumpers and jackets and I get to wear his jackets because seemingly he has better jackets than me. (laughs) What's a jumper? Oh, um, a sweater. Oh, yeah. You need to read more like Harry Potter. Harry Potter is not Australian. Harry Potter is British. That's in there. <laughs> Harry Potter is over there with David Kelly. Hi, David Kelly. Hope you've gotten some flour and some yeast by now. He sent us a picture of some bread he made, so he did get some. Yay. So that's awesome. Okay, Liz, we have got to back up because we have jumped in here mid-story. So you need to back up and tell us from the beginning. Okay. So we do we, do we start where the widowing starts? <laughs> Okay, so, and I will probably laugh a lot through this because I have decided that it is so utterly ridiculous, this situation that I find myself in, that I may as well just laugh about it. Um, So, uh, I became a widow in January 2019 when my husband, Pete, um, dropped dead. So, he had a pulmonary embolism. So that is, oh, Anita will know what this is. I know what that is. Um, So he had a blood clot in his leg and he had, um, we call it deep vein thrombosis. We didn't know that he had deep vein thrombosis because he had for about 12 months before that had a, an autoimmune disease thing that meant he couldn't feel the bottom half of his legs. It didn't kill him. It was kind of, the irony is that didn't kill him. He had a polyneuropathy, which um, which was where his um, immune system was attacking his nervous system. And so he couldn't feel the bottom half of his legs. And it had been a challenging 12 months beforehand, but he was still very compass in his head. He was just physically a little bit challenged. Um, but he had developed DVT in his legs and we didn't know because he couldn't feel it. 
and we were going starting the year we'd had a pretty ordinary 2018 we'd have lots of stuff happen we'd a cat died, a dog died, and a great aunt had died, a grandparent had died. He'd been diagnosed with this disease. Uh, we have four giant babies, and I had decided to fix a hernia that they had given me, and that was a bit of a disaster. So 2018 was a bit of a shit year. <laughs> oh, and I'll apologise because I will swear. I will curse a lot <laughs> during this. Sorry. Maybe I can edit you with like duck quacks or something. We'll see what happens. You'll find out when (laughs) when it's live. It's going to be so fun. And so 2019 uh, started and my family had decided that 2018 was so bad that we needed to have a holiday. So we were going on holidays with the kids and my mum and dad and my brother and his wife and his kids um, to the beach and... We to get to Melbourne, which is our capital city, it's a four hour drive. So we drove four hours, and mum and dad thought that they would give us a bit of a break from the kids. And so we dropped the kids at the airport with my mum and dad, and we were driving home again in about an hour and a half, two hours out of Melbourne. We stopped for lunch at um, a place called Hungry Jack's, which is your Burger King. And we had lunch and he said, I feel weird. And he said, we need to go. And he got up and walked to the door and collapsed. And that was, that was okay. At that point, I hadn't started panicking. (laughs) That's okay. Your definition of okay is a little bit disturbing. Okay. Keep going. His, his legs had given way on him before. Like he was, he He just thought he fell down. down. He fell down. So um, he was a very alpha male. He did not want to be dictated by his own body telling him that he couldn't do stuff. So he'd previously tried to do stuff and his legs would give way underneath him. So he collapsed. Um, And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just make sure you don't hit your head. Um, But then he kind of passed out a second time and I kind of went, oh, that's that's not okay. Um, and we had some people come around and they rang the ambulance and stuff like that. But he was a big guy. Like he was you know, over 100 kilograms. I don't even know what that is. 220 pounds. There we go. So he was like a big guy, like, like six foot four and, you know, big solid guy. <clears throat> and so they rang the ambulance and he was panicking a bit and, you know, so kind of it all happens. We got to a hospital quite quickly and... I watched him get off the gurney um, at the hospital. He got off the hospital, watched him get up, and he climbed onto the bed in the recess bay, and the doctor shut the curtains and said, you need to go and do some paperwork. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just go and do some paperwork. Um, And at that point I thought, oh, this doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. And at the same time my foot was really hurting because he (laughs) – he fell down onto my foot and, and he broke my toe. How rude. <laughs> what a jerk. I know. So actually when I was sitting with him, we were waiting for the ambulance. I'm like, wow, my foot is hurting so much. At the same time, I was like, sweet, are you still with me? Like I was kind of talking to him, making sure he was still conscious at the same time going, oh, my goodness, my toe is hurting so much. It's the bizarrest things you remember. <laughs> it's yeah. very bizarre. Um. But I was doing paperwork and the doctors came and 
kind of said, is he on medication? And I was a bit blase about the whole thing. And someone had driven our car to the hospital behind us. And I went out and I thanked them and got his medicines out of the car and kind of wandered back in again. And they took me into a room and they said, oh, now we've had to intubate him. And I thought, oh, well, that's good because he was panicking about not being able to breathe. So still at this point, I'm blissfully ignorant about what is going on and I kind of laugh about it because I was completely blissfully ignorant over what was going on. Um, And I started writing a text message to my parents and his parents to let them know that we were in hospital and the doctor walked in and because he had been panicking so much and I'm someone who tries to make light of situations because, you know, difficult situations are bad enough anyway, so I'm all one for making people laugh inappropriately. And I said to the doctor, oh, have you convinced him he's not dying yet? And the doctor said, no, Liz, that's what I'm here to talk to you about. And I went, oh, I'm joking. And he said, no, Liz, I'm not. And I said, I don't understand. And he said, no, Peter's died. And I'm like, oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was joking. And um, so that was that was it. So um, I remember my hands started shaking, like just like in the movies. Like I look at this now and I'm like, wow, it's just like the movies. I remember looking at my hands and they were like shaking uncontrollably. And I'm like, wow, that is really involuntary. Like that's, that's really involuntary. And they were kind of like people talking about me and they said, oh, we'll just, we'll, um, the nurses are getting ready and you can go and see him. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so literally within a couple of minutes, they were like walking me from this room that they had take, taken me. And I was walking past, I don't know what it's like in an American hospital, but in Australian hospitals, it's like all the bays that um, when you go into hospital, if it's, you're in an emergency and you walk in and they're just bays with um like screens, curtains and things across them. So I'm walking past all of these people with a nurse, two nurses, like one on each side going, huh, can I go and see my dead husband? And I walked in the recess, the resuscitation bay that he was in and he was just there and he was just dead. And on the wall, like they had a whiteboard on the wall where they had adrenaline and it had like 14... 1403 and it had the time that they tried to give him the adrenaline and then they just had a number um 1626 so 426 p.m in the afternoon that was the time of death and that was it that's i've got a dead husband (laughs) isn't that like the weirdest thing too because it's like what do you do you're just like well he's dead um okay yeah it's it's just it's just like that you just you're like, right. I guess I'm, what do I do now? Do I go get a sandwich? Do I, what should I do? Well, I was, so I was on my own and two hours away from our hometown, no kids, no family. So where we live in Victoria, that is not near any of our families. So my family lives about six hours away and his family is about eight. So, um, they're not anywhere close. And my parents were just getting to the holiday house with my kids. And I thought, oh, I, I've got to get the kids home. Right. So 
I rang, I remember ringing my dad, rang my dad and the hospital, for some strange reason, the hospital had no mobile phone service. So I had to ring off their, their phone, which of course comes up as no caller ID on a mobile phone. So I had to ring my dad and I had to tell him, and of course he wasn't going to answer the phone because it said no caller ID. Why would you answer one of those? He'd just walked into the holiday house with, um, with my brother and his wife and their kids and they're all excited and happy days that I'm, I'm ringing. So I rang, I rang them and I had to tell them and that was reasonably traumatic because I knew that my dad would be near my kids. So I was trying to get him away from the kids, which was fine. I got him away from them and I told him, but in his panic, he then quickly ran out of the room where he'd gone to and called my brother and my mum in, which meant that the kids then knew something was going on and I could hear them all panicking and crying at the other end of the phone and I'm miles, like hundreds of miles away and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I'm listening to other people's reactions. Um, so I did that um, and then I thought, oh, well, I've got to tell his parents because they better know too because I never actually got to send the text message like to say that we had got to hospital because the doctor walked in. So then I had to ring his parents and the nurses were saying, oh, we can do that, we can do that. And I thought, oh, that seems like a really wrong thing to do, that the first time that his parents find out that something has gone wrong is a strange nurse ring. I just didn't feel like that was the right way to do it. So then I had to ring his parents and tell them which, again, listening to people hear that news for the first time and panicking down the phone is quite difficult. Um, and then you've kind of done the hard – then you've kind of done the hard things, haven't you? Then you're like, oh, right, well, I suppose that's, that's it. And I got taken back to a room and they gave me a pastoral care person and then I had to start ringing people and telling them. So I rang, I rang one of my best friends – and I said, I told her, and I said, so now your job, I've got a job for you, your job is now to ring everyone else. <laughs> like I gave, I gave my friend this job, this horrible job of ringing like all of our friends to say that Pete had died. Um, and at the same time, because I was on my own, everyone was panicking about me being on my own, which I was actually, at that point, I wasn't that worried about, I wasn't even thinking about that. But there was much concern that I was on my own. My dad was panicking. He kept ringing, saying, you've got to get someone. And the nurses kept saying, you're on your own. We need someone to be with you. Because I think everyone was waiting for me to fall apart. And it's weird because I I didn't then. I did later. But right then and there, I just had to deal with what I was dealing with. So I didn't fall apart. But my dad unbeknownst to me, had rung a friend and they came and picked me up. Um, so they drove two hours to come and pick me up and we got home at midnight that night um, by the time they'd picked me up when we got home and the girlfriend who I had rung to make her tell all of the friends, she was in my house and um, she said she was going to be there. And this is the strange things you think about. I don't know about you two, the strange things that you think about. So 
the morning before we, like the day that he died, we were going to Melbourne and I had this massive pile of dishes and I, I'm the worst housekeeper. I'm a terrible housekeeper. So all the dishes from the night before, dinner the night before, were all stacked up and I'm like, oh, I've got to do the dishes. But at the same time, we had to leave by 7 o'clock in the morning to get the plane, to get the kids on the plane. And Pete said to me, oh, just do it tonight. And I'm like, yep, stuff it. I'll just do it tonight. So I rang my girlfriend and she said, I'll be there for you when you get home. And I went, oh, I haven't done the dishes. <laughs> I haven't done the dishes. And she said, oh, don't worry. So I got home and she'd done my dishes, which actually gave her something to do. She was quite happy to do that. Um, and someone else had dropped off wine and cheese. And I know how to get sleeping tablets now because apparently all my friends are on sleeping tablets because it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, my girlfriend and I sat up and we had a few wines and we cried a bit and I tried to go to sleep and I kind of went to bed and went, oh, so this is it. Like, it's weird. It's such a surreal experience and not anything that I think you would expect it to feel like because it's like in that moment, you know, you're like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to take care of this and your brain is not thinking, it's not. It's not really like understanding yet, you know, that that happens later. But in the moment, you know, yeah, we got to do this and we got to do this. And you just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I had to talk to police officers and I had to fill out forms for the coroner because um, 46 year old men don't walk in and drop dead. So I had to fill out a form. um, And so, like, one of the questions is, like, how is the deceased related to you? I'm like, oh, cool husband fill that in and it's like the nurses came in and they said oh we could we could fill that out oh you've done oh you've even remembered your phone number and I'm like what <laughs> why, why would I not remember my phone number and they said well we have people in here who just who absolutely cannot like they just can't even hold a pen they can't they can't do anything and I'm like oh that's weird um and the police had to come in because it has to be referred to the coroner because it was an unexpected and unusual death, Um, the police came in. And so they're like, oh, can you tell us what happened and what's going on? I'm like, oh, you know, this is is me and that's my husband. Because by that stage I was sitting in a room and he was, they had transferred him to a room, only quite a small room, like maybe, I don't know, a couple of metres by a couple of metres, just a little room in in the hospital. And he was, they put him on a bed and he was just dead on the bed beside me for like five hours. And that was that was it. So the police walked in. I'm like, oh yeah, and that that's that's my husband over there, like, you know, the, <laughs> the dead guy on the bed, um, dead on they, the bed. It sounds like a great oh, no. poem title. Oh, I know. it's so it's so ridiculous. Um, because the reality, I tell people this, and and they're like, what? Oh my god, how was it? And I'm like, oh well, it's just it was. It just a bit like. All of this death thing, it just is. It just is what it is. And so the police were kind of like, oh, can you explain the scratches on his arm? Because it looked oh. like it looked <laughs> like a domestic incident. So we had got a puppy eight days beforehand and he was very bitey and very scratchy and he had scratched Pete's arm, but it looked like my fingernails down his arm and the police were like, mm, 
sorry, we've got to ask you about that. Murder. Oh, no, 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 it's a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's totally what I was thinking too when you were saying that like you were joking with the doctor about like, did you convince him he's not, you know, dying? And then they're like, oh, write that down. Suspect. <laughs> Scratches. This lady killed her husband. <laughs> I know. And I feel like I look like one of those women too. So, um, <laughs> And were you also in a good mood and like laughing and happy? And they're like, why is she so laughing and happy? She's a murderer. No, I do. <laughs> this strange lady. Um, no, but I do know I thanked them. Like afterwards, I kept walking outside because the hospital gave me a pastoral care lady who was lovely. Um, and I know why they do it. And it was absolutely not what I needed. <laughs> so, she um, was a very, she, she was a very softly spoken person who had had experience in the funeral industry and was very there, there, dear. And um, she said to me, she walked in, and and I think this is just me, and I and I hope it doesn't offend people because that this is what they need. But it was just like the worst thing that could have happened. She walked in and um and she said, oh, do you mind if I introduce myself to Pete? And I'm like, what? Well, he's he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of looked at her and I went, okay, yep, go for it. And she kind of wandered over and leaned over his body and she she introduced herself. and, And she looked at me and she said, he looks like he was, he was, um, such a fun life of the party guy. And I thought, kind of thought about it and I just I had to really stop myself being rude to her I had to make it that was probably the only conscious decision that I made that day because Pete was like six foot four he had a beer belly bit of a you know like a bit of a chin and he's clearly a guy who likes a party like he's you know, <laughs> like the most obvious thing about him even in death like he's a he's a big guy and and I thought this is just like the weirdest thing to say to someone and she said oh do you want me to t- do you want to talk to me about him just tell me a bit about Pete and I'm like no nah. no I'm not I don't need to. I'm not gonna sit here and talk to a strange lady about how amazing my husband is when I've got all of our friends ringing me constantly because the word had started getting out by this time so I had all of my friends ringing and messaging and stuff like that just to, you know, like, well, confirm the story, really. Lots of them were and lots of them were just checking that I was okay. And and I thought I'd rather talk to those people, not, not you. Yeah. Okay, but that lady was Pete's best friend because she introduced herself to him. So Oh, I know. He's dead. It was they the were... weirdest thing. <laughs> it's strange. Anyway, that's really weird things that happen when someone dies. And I'm discovering that the more I am a widow, the weird, the weirder things happen, like how how other how other people deal with death and grief and stuff. It's been a very big learning curve, really, I think. <laughs> now you're pretty you're open about a lot of things. So what are the weirdest things you've been open about? Uh, well, telling people how he died. Uh, I'm all for talking about that because no one talks about it um I'm quite happy to tell people what he looked like while he was lying dead on the bed for five hours beside me 
because I was literally in a room with a dead body for five hours. I think you should tell us about it right now. Yeah, and I, I have questions about it. So yeah. go ahead so and tell us. Tell us. As oh, no, ask your questions. Ask Anita. What do you want to Okay. Well, so when I went back to see Jason, I didn't like being in the same room as him. Like, I know a lot of people find that comforting and they have to, like, tear him away in the movies to say goodbye. And I didn't want to be in the same room as him. Did you have that same feeling or were you, like, okay being there? Well, I didn't get a choice. <clears throat> so, okay. so that that was another weird thing. So they didn't tell me, <laughs> didn't tell me they were putting him in the room. So I had walked to the resuscitation bay and I had seen him. And I remember, I remember walking in, it was very warm and everything like that. And I did cry on him and say, oh my goodness, how am I meant to tell the kids? And this poor nurse who was in there, who was taking off the bits and pieces, she started sobbing when I had said that. And she's like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh no, no, it's okay. You can cry too. Like, you know, I found myself (laughs) comforting other people. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. You cry. I'm crying. Um, And then I had to, like, I took a couple of phone calls outside because the mobile phone reception was so bad, but some really good friends had rung and I was outside the hospital and I walked back into the same room where they had told me and they didn't actually tell me that they were putting him in there. And I walked in the room. Oh, oh, he's in here now. Okay. And so he was just in the corner of the room on a bed, dead. And he was just there. That's That, that was it. <laughs> like he was, he was there, which was weird because everyone kept coming and going. And when my friends came um, to pick me up, they they were going to come into the room and I had to stop myself at the door and I went, oh, so he's in here, by the way, just, just by the way, there's a dead body in here, Pete's in here. And they had said, no, 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 it's all right, it's all right. And it, afterwards they've since told me neither of them had seen a dead body before, um, but the, the wife walked in and she was, she was okay and the husband walked in and they're really good friends of ours. And he walked in and he said, G'day, mate. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Like he just walked in and he just said hello to him as if Pete was walking in the door, like exactly as if he'd walked in the house or he was sitting in the chair alive. And it just, that made me feel so much. Like after that, the strange softly spoken lady had spoken to him, it was just so nice to hear a friend speak to him just like he was alive. Anyway, by that stage... He had gotten colder because when I said goodbye to him, I kind of felt it was, it was again, just like the movies, like Anita, you said, you know, they drag their bodies away and stuff like that. It was, I felt like I needed to say goodbye because that's what they do in the movies. <laughs> like it was, it's weird because how do you actually, like I'd never really thought about how you say goodbye to your dead husband it's not really something that we ever, like you ever really contemplate. So we were leaving and I sort of thought, oh, I feel like I need to say goodbye. And I knew that that would be the last time that I got to touch him, really got to touch him or got to feel him or anything like that because the next time he would be in a coffin or I'd see him in a coffin, he would have been in the morgue, so it would have been cold. So it was the last time. So I kind of felt, so I did say goodbye to him and I gave him a kiss and a hug, but it was weird because it wasn't, I don't know, did you, did you kiss Jason and Anita? Did you say, yeah. And I, I did. Yeah. 
Well, Mel, it was a couple days before Mel got to see Scott, so it yeah. would have been a little bit different. I don't love touching dead bodies, and so <laughs> I didn't touch Scott at all. I was, I'm such a jerk of a wife. But I did, like, I, because Scott was in a different state uh, when he died than I was. Like, I was in Utah and he was in Idaho. And then, because it was a sudden death or whatever, they had to do an autopsy. And then it just took time, like, a little bit longer to get him down to Utah. So I think I saw him. He died on a Monday and I saw his body on a Thursday and, but, like, they took the sheet off of him, and, like, he looked all nice and whatever, and he was embalmed. He didn't have, like, the makeup and stuff on, but I just was so curious about the sweet scar over his head, because, you know, they, like, cut their head open and examine their brain for the autopsy, and so he just looked... I didn't touch him at all, but I was super interested in how he looked and why he looked like that, and, like, his, his belly was distended, um, and so... The funeral directors were telling me kind of like what they do, like, and why, like, when bodies are at this state, like, they do fill with gas, and so that's why his chest is up so high. So, like, I didn't touch him, but I saw a lot of weird things and asked a lot of questions. So, when I first saw Jason, he was still warm, and I gave him a kiss, but I felt guilty that I didn't want to be in the same room with him. I felt like, and I still feel, like, I still feel a little bit traumatized about going back there and seeing him. Um, like even right now, just talking about it, it makes me feel a little bit anxious. And then we went back to the room with the pastoral care of the chaplain lady who, you know, wanted to, they brought us snacks and things like that. And when I went back to say like, goodbye, goodbye. And they had kind of cleaned him up at that point in time. Like you were saying, Liz, like taken off some of the, the medical devices and things like that. And I gave him another kiss. And by that time he was cold. And that, I think that was the kind of time where it was like, oh, this is, this is for real. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, when he was still warm, it was like he wasn't that far away. It's like, no, you could, like, you could come back, you know. But then once he was, like, cold, I was like, oh, no, this is, dang. Yeah. Because it's just like they're sleeping when they're warm. I kept waiting yeah. for him to start snoring on the bed. <laughs> like, because it was just no different as if he was asleep on the couch. Like, I was sitting at a desk filling out paperwork and he was asleep behind me kind of thing and I kind of half expected snores to start coming out <laughs> from the bed beside that would have been awesome <laughs> yeah, I know. Pete is back from the dead back from the dead but yeah when I said goodbye for the last time um and I kissed him I'm like oh I don't, I don't think I want that to be the last kiss because it wasn't right because well <laughs> funnily enough he didn't kiss me back. Like, <laughs> so rude. I know. But it wasn't, it wasn't, um, yeah, like you have to say goodbye and I knew that was the right thing to do. But it was weird because I was kissing, well, you know, cold, dead lips and it wasn't, it wasn't right. And there was other weird stuff that happened. Like when they brought him in, he was very pink. And then as over the, over the time yeah. that, the, like, he was there, like the colours started draining for want of a better word, started draining out of his body. And, um, yeah, it was just really weird how it changed over that time. And so I I tell people this, that I'll apologise to anyone who's listening who hears all of this, who's not coping with this, but I just, I never knew. Like, when do we 
when do we ever see that or have that happen to know it's like childbirth <laughs> like it's you know until you experience it you kind of it's hard to explain so I tell everyone all of the time did you feel the need to just like repeat over and over and over the story Mel and I have both talked about how we just had this need to talk to everybody who would come in and tell them the whole story and replay it and try and piece together what had happened and who was where at what point in time and who told who and all of those types of things did you feel that same need um I kind of do it anyway I have like verbal diarrhea (laughs) (laughs) even if people didn't want to know I tell them (laughs) no I actually um my mum was the one who struggled with it a lot because everyone asked me. They wanted to know. Like everyone said, oh, what happened? Because he had literally been at the supermarket with me on the Saturday. We had seen people and then I saw people, like people popped around. They're like, we saw you 48 hours ago and he was alive. And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Same. Like it was, so it was a very, yeah, people weren't, didn't know. They wanted to know because they couldn't believe it really. So yeah. yeah. The challenge I also had was to, um, was the kids weren't, the, the kids didn't know and we had to tell the kids um, and the kids were on holidays obviously. And so over the course of the afternoon um, we, I was talking to my dad and my brother and we were trying to work out what to do. Do we tell the kids when they are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometres away or do we wait till we get them home? Um, and so we decided to not tell them and that mum and dad would get them at home as quickly as possible. But where they were, there's only three flights out of the town, the closest town to get them to Melbourne and it's a four-hour trip. So they couldn't actually get them home until like 8 o'clock the next day. So I had this really weird day where the day after my husband died, I had no children at home I had friends and everyone started to find it like everyone was finding out so the phone was ringing and the text messages and the the word was getting out but the kids still didn't know that their dad was dead and so we had to try and contain it a little bit everyone who was ringing and texting I had to respond and say but the kids don't know yet um and my eldest daughter was 12 at the time and you know 12 year olds they have that devices and so there was some chatter amongst the friends so I had to like people say you shouldn't have to do this but it was me having to initiate the conversation with other parents to say could you please tell your children not to contact my daughter because she doesn't know yet and so we had to try and really contain it I, I had a girlfriend who who thought she was very forward thinking. So she went to, there's there's two florists in the town where we live and she went to both the florists and said, you cannot deliver flowers until the children get home because otherwise the kids would have walked in the house and there would have been flowers everywhere and they would have known instantly. So she, unbeknownst to me, went to the florist to say, the kids don't know you can't deliver flowers yet, which was really, not like when she told us that, Wow, that's actually really thoughtful. Because none of us had <laughs> even good idea. Like, yeah, that that's great. Good thinking. So, um, yeah, so that was really weird because we had this whole day where I got up at like seven o'clock in the morning and my girlfriend had stayed overnight. And we kind of just sort of sat around for the day because there was no kids. I didn't feel like I could ring the funeral director before the kids knew. That felt weird. Um 
we kind of just had to wait until the kids got home. What did your, what did your, was it your kids were with your parents, right? Not Pete's parents. Okay. What did your parents say to them when they told them like, yeah, we just got here on vacation and now we're going to turn around and go home. Like, what did they, what did they tell them? And I can imagine if it was my kids, they would have been complaining, like, well, I don't want to go home, you know, and you're having to like, just be like, just get in the car, you know. Yes. Stop asking so many questions yet. Yeah. Um, well, they had worked out, they had worked out that something was wrong. Um, they knew it was me on the phone um, and they had seen my mum and dad's reaction and my brother's reaction. So they knew that something was wrong. Um, I actually sometimes wish I'd be given birth to really silly kids because it'd be way easier, but they had already worked out something was wrong. So we decided, um, we would tell the kids that he had collapsed and something was wrong with his heart. Um, but we needed to go home and then, uh, mum and dad and my brother and his wife would then keep them as busy as humanly possible so they would not be anywhere near devices or be bored and start thinking and ask questions so they took them to the pool and the beach and they went out for dinner and they saw a movie and they got them up at six o'clock in the morning and they took them beach fishing and they went swimming again and they went out for breakfast because the first plane out is um they, they couldn't get a very early one, so they had one half past one in the afternoon. So they had to fill in this time. It was about a two-hour drive to the airport. So they, like, packed the morning so they were so tired so that then when they got on the plane, they would be awake. They, like, bought them all the snacks on the plane to get home and then, and then they were so tired when they got in the car. They slept for most of the way home. So that was, that was the plan, just exhaust them, tell them that they had to go home. But um, when they got home I had to sit them down and tell them and our eldest wouldn't come and sit on the couch and I said I need you to all come and sit down and talk to you about daddy and she wouldn't sit on the couch and I'm like come and sit on the couch because they know they'd known from the year before every time something bad happened like when the cat died we sat them down when the dog died sit them down when the grandfather died sit them down like so they she knew that something bad was coming and um and I just had to tell them I just had to say um you know how we said there was something wrong with daddy's heart and I said daddy's heart actually stopped and he died and I figured that was the best way to tell them, just be really honest um, and just be straight out. I don't, I don't know how you did it with yours, Adita, but um, I figured that they're not stupid and there's no point talking about all of the other stuff because the reality is that he's dead. And I, that day I had played over and over in my head and with my girlfriends we had talked about what their reactions might be, but I certainly wasn't expecting the screaming they just screamed um, and it was awful. And then they re- they did really odd things. Like they ran around the house and went and got things of Pete's. So someone went and got a shirt. One of them went and got a shirt. One of them went and got a toy that he'd given him. One went and got um, a picture of him and they just all came racing back into the lounge room again and just hugging the things. So that was another out-of-body experience with being a widow, telling your, ch- telling your children that their dad is dead. And at that point in time, you didn't 
or did you? Did you know exactly what had happened? Because they hadn't, yeah, so you don't really know. You don't, it's hard to explain to somebody when you're like, I, I, don't, I don't even know what happened. I just know that he was here and now he's not. And I, I said a similar thing, like his heart, his heart stopped and he died, you know, because that's basically what it means to die, whether, you know, you know the reason why. But, yeah, worst experience of my life and hardest, I would say. Um, and we didn't know for a long time. The doctor said at the time, he said to me, uh, it's, we don't know why, but it's something catastrophic. And when something like that happens, we can't stop it. Um, he said just, at that time he didn't know. And so the coroner, they did an autopsy on Pete too, um, but it took 12 weeks to yeah. get a reason. So... Um, we didn't know for 12 weeks, but to me, it didn't matter. It was very important to his family to find out why he had died. But for me, because I was dealing with the everyday of the kids and the everyday of the grief and the everyday that changed, it, it didn't actually, the why didn't matter to me as much as the fact that he's dead. It didn't change how he died, didn't change the fact that he is dead. Hmm. That's interesting. I was very concerned about knowing why because I was like, could it happen to my kids? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is there something wrong with us kind of a thing? Yep. Um, Afterwards, yes, but they told the coroner's office told us that it would be 12 weeks before we found out. So I guess I knew that I wasn't going to know for 12 weeks. So obsessing, obsessing over it wasn't going to change (laughs) so when we found out that his his gp was really good like he talked to me all through it and he was very blunt and i have a child walking into the middle of my podcast yay i'm so happy (laughs) i told liz it would make me feel better if her kids were the ones who interrupted for once (laughs) hello child (laughs) <laughs> They've gone again now. I can hear them arguing on the other side of the door. <laughs> oh and see, this is the other thing with widowing. I think that's really kind of, well, it is funny. So, like, I'm in the middle of telling you how he died and, you know, like this really serious topic. And the kids walk in because that's <laughs> – that's the reality of my life now is that it, we are like a yo-yo in our house where we go from really serious stuff to, oh, look at you. You've got 87 different pieces of clothing on. Okay, that's what we're wearing today. Let's go with that. And then someone's arguing with someone over because they buttered the toast the wrong way. And then someone writes something amazing or does something amazing and you have a proud moment. And then everyone falls in a hole at the end of the day. And it's like, oh, my God. It's just the reality of it all that you kind of just like a roller coaster every day. Oh my god, I can hear the- <laughs> I can hear my children slamming doors. <laughs> it's a giant comedy so, show. Dark comedy. <laughs> we are, really we are. So Liz Yes, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say ha- um so you have a great sense of humor. Obviously, it's been helping you through this time. Have have people reacted to you like, what is wrong with you? You're crying. Or you're not crying. You're laughing. Yep. What's so, the deal? 
very much so. So apparently I'm not widowing the way people thought that I would widow. Um, <laughs> I, I, we have a lot of friends all over Australia and a long way away and our family is all a long way away and everyone wanted to know what we were up to and I was getting lots and lots and lots of phone calls and everything about how we were going and what we were doing and every time I walked down the street in our, like where we live, I was having to tell the same story. So I started writing a blog and when I was trying to work out what to call it, I was talking to some girlfriends and it was I was telling them how everyone kept commenting that I was doing widowing wrong. Um, and so I called it the failing widow, which people also decided to critique because <laughs> they said, do you know you can't fail at widowing? And I'm like, you know the name's ironic, don't you? Like it's the irony that that's the joke because people would say to me, what are you doing? And I'm like, what What do you mean what am I doing? And they're like, get out of the house. And I'd be like, yeah, I need coffee. <laughs> and I'd go to the coffee shop and I'd get a coffee. And they're like, but, you know, you're up and you've had a shower and look at you. And I'm like, yep, I still need coffee. <laughs> like, I, still, I, still, I still need coffee. Or I was at the supermarket and they're like, what are you doing? Like, how are you out? And I'm like, I need milk and butter because, you know, the kids – keep eating like <laughs> damn it <laughs> um and you know really odd things so and I went and had um coffee with some friends and I I made the mistake of only taking like two friends and people were like bombarding me with questions when I went out and I'm like oh wow I'm gonna stop doing that so I decided I'm gonna take a posse so we started going out for coffee in a group and I'd have my posse and as soon as anyone started asking me questions, because they'd be like, oh, we just didn't think widowing would look like you. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I don't need to say, like I'd say, well, what am I meant to be doing? Am I meant to be crying all the time or am I meant to be dressing in black or am I meant to have 30 days of mourning in the house? Like, what am I meant to be doing? And they would say, I don't know, but I didn't think it would look like, like that, like, like you. <laughs> so so no one really knows what a widow is meant to look like but if you don't look like what they think it should be they tell you I don't know if that's an Australian thing or just a me thing but <laughs> people feel the need to tell you like cool just keep that shit to yourself <laughs> like you're supposed to have a veil you know a black veil and you're supposed to carry a Kleenex or like a handkerchief in your hand so you can dab your tears. Mm-hmm. But do it very, like, gently, you know, and with great decorum so that you're, you know, and good posture. That's mm-hmm. the key. Um, and adrenaline, I just think adrenaline has a lot to answer for, really, in that first, ooh, probably six months, really. But certainly in that first week, we had Pete's funeral within about 10 days. And I wrote his eulogy and delivered the eulogy at the funeral. And I wasn't, again, I didn't do what people expected me to do. I got, I got up there. I did the eulogy. I spoke to the hundreds of people who were at his funeral. We went to the pub, a bar, I suppose it is. We went to a bar afterwards and we drank a lot of rum um, <laughs> because that was, that was his drink of choice. And, and we laughed 
a lot because he was such a fun person that he would want us to he would want us to do that but again that that got a lot of people offside um who didn't believe that i should be able to to do that why wasn't i wallowing in tears how could i be going out and talking to people and yeah it was it's been interesting how people react to grief in their own grief and the way they react to our grief did you bury him or was he cremated? He was cremated. Um, he, We have moved around a lot. This is not our hometown. He doesn't really have a hometown. He grew up in a few different towns. And so there was nowhere that I could put him in the ground that felt right. And he also, it's probably the only thing we'd actually ever talked about in terms of dying. Like he didn't have a will but he had told me that he didn't want to be buried anywhere. So um, I cremated him. Uh, the best thing I ever did was get the children some trinkets, like pendants, necklace pendants that have some of his ashes in it, which led to another very funny conversation because we got the pendants and um, the youngest, who was uh, eight, seven at the time, six, she got hers and she's like sniffing it. And she's like, Mum. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? Get it out of your nose. She's like, Mum, it smells like burning. And oh. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so then the others have all got it's like, oh, mine doesn't smell like mine doesn't smell like burning. Stop putting them up your nose. What are you doing? Your kids have snorted your husband. That's cool. <laughs> and so then the, so, I mean, you shouldn't be laughing about, like, it's it's snorting their dead father. Like, it's all of the things that are wrong and also the perfect example of how things can be so ridiculously funny. So, at the same time, the kids were sitting there going, oh, imagine if you got daddy's butt. <laughs> <laughs> because he always said it smelt like roses because he was... You know, like the kids would be like, oh, dad, that stinks. And he'd be like, what? Smells like roses. And so the kids were like, imagine if he got his butt. And they're like, oh, you know, dad always said it smelled like roses. And it did not smell like roses. <laughs> and so then the conversation moved to them talking about which body part they might have in their trinket. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> love like, it. Well, I think I would like daddy's eyes because he, you know, he had nice eyes. And someone else wanted his smile and... You know, someone else wanted his voice box and someone was which is all beautiful. And then so this really ridiculously funny moment where we're like sniffing, sniffing the trinkets <laughs> and we're laughing about it being his butt, we then turned into quite morbid crying and hysterical crying about the fact that it is their dad and it's your body part inside the inside the trinket. So it's just it kind of really to me showed Again, the roller coaster that is grief where you're laughing and then you're crying and then you're laughing again and then it's normal and it's yeah. So <laughs> but it was that perfect because the kids have these these necklaces now and everyone would say, Oh, I bet you miss daddy. And they would hold their necklaces up and go, Oh no, no, he's here. I've got him. I'm wearing him. This is daddy. And so they would go to school and or play sport and things like that. And people would say, Oh, I bet you wish bet you wish he was here. People say the strangest things to children when they've lost their parents. Um I bet you wish he was here. And they're like, oh, no, Daddy's here. We're, I'm wearing him. And so 
Yeah, that was actually the best thing that I did because it meant that he was close to them all of the time. Liz, I have a question. It's kind of off topic. Okay, on your Instagram, you have all these pictures of you guys like in your fancy hats. What is going on there? It, like it, they look to me like um, like a Kentucky Derby situation, but I don't know any of the backstory, so I don't know what you guys are doing there in your like dressed up attire. We are going to the races, so like the Kentucky Derby, okay. but not as big as the Kentucky Derby. So I don't know if over there you have like local horse races, like towns have horse races. So most towns here have a like like have a horse racing track and they have a horse racing meeting once or twice a year in the little towns around and so you get dressed up for fashions on the field and so um because I have a lot of spare time I make hats like Kentucky do like a millinery do millinery around the kids and so we would get dressed up as a family and go to the races so that was a bit of fun that we used to do, but we would always go home. So my hometown is 600 kilometres away from where we live. I don't know how many miles that is. We'll need to Google it. <laughs> it's 300 and something, probably high 300s. Miles. Yeah. So that far away takes me about six hours to get there. And so uh, we would go to the race meeting every year. They had have two a year, but we would always go to the one in October and that's what we would do. So we would go home every October to that race meeting as a family and because it's a big town, like lots of people go, like a few thousand people go to the races, we would see all our friends in the one place at the one time. So rather than going to our hometown and having to visit all these different places over the course of one weekend, which is impossible, you can only drink so many cups of tea or have a beer with so many people, we would just go to the event and everyone would be there. So that was like our family tradition, going home there every year. And so um, we would get dressed up. Do you guys have horses? Do you race horses? Or was that just more of like a community? You Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're very social people. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so we would go home. So I went home in October last year without Pete and he would get dressed up. He would make an outfit that matched mine and we would go in the best dressed couple. So we were like the raiding champions of the best dressed couple. And so I went back this year and I didn't, well, last year, and I didn't have anyone, but one of our really good friends had said at the at the bar, at the wake, quite drunk, if you come home for the races, I'll be your partner in the best dressed couple. So his wife and I worked out what colours we would wear and he had a tie that matched and a shirt that matched and we won the best dressed couple. So turns out I didn't need Pete after all to be the best dressed couple. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what is the deal with you and the sheep? So us and the sheep is that I am off a farm, um, again, like 300 and whatever miles away from here. So my parents are on a farm and it has sheep on it and we grow rice and it has a few cows and a few other crops and things on it. And so we would go home and help my parents on their farm in the school holidays 
and that's the industry that Pete worked in. He was in the animal livestock industry and he loved sheep. That's what he did. That's how I met him. He was a he was a jackaroo on a big property. What's um, a jackaroo? What is a jackaroo. I want to do that. A jackaroo. <laughs> yeah. I don't what is it what is it going to be over there? Um someone who is like who helps out on a farm, on a ranch. A farmhand? Um well, kind of, but it's it's but jackaroos are generally only on farms that have just livestock. Hmm. We're going to have to do some research for this one. It was a big sheep property that he was on. And so, yeah, and so he was a jackaroo there. So I met him at the local bar. Um, and so he loved doing sheep work. So we, we go home most school holidays and help my family on their farm. And so we did that again. Well, we still do that. We went home um, when the pandemic was on because the farm is a reasonable size and so there's lots of open space and no coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Only sheep. So what does your life look like now, Liz? So my life um, now looks like I had to get myself a job, which is really inconvenient. Boom. <laughs> So I had this great setup where Pete would work and I would work from home. I write for a living, like I was a journalist, um, but I turned my hand to lots of other things because I help people string words together, basically. So I would write and work from home for sort of 10 hours a week and that would buy me shoes and the occasional ballet tutu for my children and Pete was the breadwinner like he would make all the money and he paid rent and school fees and clothes and groceries and I was thrown you away (laughs) and I was really happy with that setup because (laughs) um it was fine it was good for me but when he died I'm like oh I don't think I want to be at home all of the time so I got myself a job so I now work from uh, every day from nine until three in an office doing marketing and public relations and things like that while the kids are at school. Um, We now have two children in high school, which would be your middle school, I think. Um, So, yeah, 13 and 12. So they're they're at high school now. And so... Um, to at primary school, but the pandemic, oh my goodness, the pandemic, <laughs> all four of them are learning from home and have been learning from home for seven weeks. And I have had to work from home in my office <laughs> with four children at home. And um, I cannot say that I have excelled in any of it. <laughs> But I have certainly felt um, the lack of circuit breaker, um, not having someone come in at the end of the day to ask how my day was, just from a work from an adult to adult perspective, um, to come home and just break my day up, I suppose, and and to help with the kids it's been a really this has probably been the nearly the hardest bit because prior to now it was grief and it was hard and it was the first year and everything and now we're into the second year 
things are still hard, but, you know, this is it. This is our life now. We're dealing with it. Um, but the pandemic has made it hard because there's no one not being able to see people and not having that other adult in the house to help has been tricky. I love that way of describing it, a circuit breaker. I am stealing that and pretending I thought of it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) They are a circuit breaker when there's, when there's a, you know, a hormonal teenager and a hormonal mother screaming at each other. (laughs) There would be the man walk in and go, whoa, 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 you go that way, you go that way, you go and get yourself a wine, I need to speak to you, darling daughter, about speaking to your mother like that, go and get a what, like, just the circuit breaker, and there's there's no circuit breaker anymore. Ooh, I love it, I love that so much. So so my life now is busy, it is it is busy, We're, our life was always a circus, I like to tell people, it is a circus with four kids. It's always been a circus and someone someone not long after Pete died when I went kind of flippantly said, oh, it's a circus, our life is a circus. And they went, oh, and you've lost the ringmaster. And I went, whoa, 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 No, we might have lost the lion tamer, possibly also the clown, but he was never the ringmaster. <laughs> I'm the ringmaster. <laughs> So, Liz, we are having a contest between Australia, Canada, and the UK for who gets the most listens to our podcast. And Anita has to play. Yes. Yes. Anita has to play the clarinet doing whichever country's national anthem. I don't know how to play the clarinet. you need to tell all your friends if you want Australia to win. If you are from Australia... Or the UK or Canada, and you listen to our podcast, give us a five star review and write a review and tell us which country you are from. And then by a certain date, we are going to collect the yes. information. And whichever country wins gets to hear Anita play their national anthem. Well, I was going to say the Australian national anthem could be tricky. Ugh, okay, don't win Australia. I want an easy national anthem. I'll help you out. Don't tell your friends. (laughs) Have you got Australian questions? So, Liz, we have obituaries here in the U.S., and I hear that you guys have obituaries there, but they're maybe a little bit different. So our obituaries are like anybody that dies, it's just printed like in in that section of the newspaper, no matter who they are. Will you tell us about how Australia publishes death? Yes. So we have obituaries. But obituaries are like a story about the person who has died that's published in the newspaper. So it's usually reserved for people who are famous or important in their communities or something like that. So they're our obituaries. So what what you call an obituary is what we would call a death notice. So it's where usually the funeral home um, who is dealing with the funeral prints publishes the thing that says this is the person this is when they died this is how old they were this is you know loving husband of xyz loving father of abcd um and the funeral details so that's what we call a death notice an obituary could be like a whole page story with pictures and 
their whole life story about what they've done and how important they are. Interesting. Ah, excellent. So what about Vegemite? <laughs> is that good oh, or bad? so good, but you do not put lots of it on. Okay. So this is where. Do you put it on bread? Yes, and toast, but you just okay. need to smear it on. You don't, with little light smearing, you don't put it on like you would put on peanut butter. Is it keto? Oh, I think it probably would be. So you could mm-hmm. have some. Okay, Mel. You can eat some. But you just have to smear it on your hand and then lick it off. It's right? very salty. I can very do that. Salty. How do I find it here? That's going to be my next quest. That would be. So if you were going to eat it off your finger, you wouldn't want to eat any more than like a pea-sized. Okay. Good to know. Oh, so it's kind of like in a different way, wasabi. Yes. You don't want to have a whole thick layer of wasabi because you'll die. <laughs> and then your death notice will say died of Vegemite poisoning. Yeah. Unless I was very important and then they wrote an obituary about me, which would be yes. very interesting. And, and they would tell everyone how amazing you are and all of the things you've done. Oh, my gosh. Liz, it has been so fun to talk to you. We have a lot in common because... We're both a little nuts. So, and we have four crazy kids and I'm living your same. I was like nodding my head emphatically when she was talking about how the pandemic had just made things immeasurably harder. So I am just right there with you on the other side of the globe, just living my best life. Yeah. Wondering what in the world. Side of the world. You seem to be way fitter than me. (laughs) I feel like. I feel like where we, you know, we mirror image each other, except you run and I drink. (laughs) (laughs) We all have our vices. (laughs) That's equal. Those are the same things. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for joining us with our guest from the other side of the world. I have had a really fun time. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Like Mel said, make sure you go to iTunes, give us a review and state which country you're from so that we can keep track so we know who's going to win the contest and make me play the clarinet which i can't play the clarinet you guys so you guys are going to have a good time with that or send us an email if you don't use itunes to listen to the podcast and you listen to another platform send us an email at widowwedonow at gmail.com Also, if you're listening, be sure to check out our Facebook group and ask to join and you will be asked to submit either an obituary and or a death notice so that we know you're not a creepy stalker. Okay, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And I'm Liz. And we're just three young widows trying to figure out what the heck widow Widow we do do now. No widow, I want to do now. (laughs) Yes, if you're a girl, you can be a Jillaroo. Man, we need to go to Australia so bad. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month.
it blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.